All right, well, hey, grab, grab your Bible. Head on over to uh, the book of James. We're going to be shutting down uh, chapter 1 this morning. It was about three weeks ago, and uh, I was on the phone with a friend of mine who was... Um, uh, who, who is a pastor in the state of Indiana. He was, a, he was a, just a good friend, spent a lot of time um, with him when we lived out there. He actually lived a quarter mile from our house. We would run together occasionally, but he was one of those like really awesome runners, like one of those guys that was born to run. Um, that is not me. And, and I'm talking like he, he ran a marathon and ran like six minute miles in this marathon for like the marathon. And that just doesn't happen in my world. Um, so anyways, this good friend of mine who's, who's a pastor, um, I was on the phone with him three weeks ago, and uh, he has also recently adopted a child, but they adopted a, a nine-year-old, I believe, is, is his age, and he is from uh, Africa. And, and so a little bit different than the two-year-old that we adopted. You've got seven, uh, seven more years of, of, of learning and habits and behaviors that, that are all different. And, and so they, they have been very... Uh, open and honest about some of their challenges that they've had with adoption. And, and there's just days that are really, really good. Um, and then there are days that are, are difficult. And it's, it's not really that different than just having biological children. Um, and so I was on the phone with them and we're talking about some of these difficult days. And it was the afternoon that followed that 1230 in the morning period of time that we have looked at the last couple um, Sundays. And so uh, I had texted him, and I was like, man, this adoption thing is rough, and it's, you know, it's got some struggles with it, uh, and so he called me, and we're, we're chatting, and so I'm, I'm giving him the whole story, including the, and so I'm laying there, and I'm thinking, somehow this is for my joy, because I had just been studying James chapter 1, and here was his response, that's why you shouldn't preach the book of James. <laughs> Thanks. He's like, it's just too stinking convicting. That's why they tell you to never do it. Uh, but here's why that, that matters is because this morning in James chapter 1 verse 22, James is going to give us what amounts to be the very central command that the entire rest of the book is going to be built around. And so in James chapter 1 verse 22, James tells us, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And so what happens from this Sunday on is that every time we get together, we are going to be confronted with the same question asked in different ways. Are you hearing only or are you hearing and doing and so next week when Pastor Danny walks through the next chapter in the beginning verses of James 2, where James talks about showing partiality between people, the question is going to be, are you showing partiality or are you in glad submission to the scriptures and not showing partiality? So what that is going to amount to is that over the next, I don't know, eight, nine weeks until we get to Thanksgiving, you're going to feel like you're taking body blows from a heavyweight champion because James just doesn't pull punches and he just gets after it one right after the other and so w before we get into our text this morning and we consider what he has to say including this central command that it, it, if you only hear and you don't do you're deceived 
we need to just chat real briefly because what we just sang in that last song is so true, that we are armed with the sword that wounds and heals. And that's what God's word is. It's a double-edged sword and it pierces and it penetrates and it divides into, uh, between joint and marrow, between soul and spirit. Like the most indivisible parts, God's word gets in there and divides and it, and it can reveal and it cuts. But at the very same time, it heals and it equips and it instructs. And so my, my encouragement to you over the next several weeks and certainly beginning this morning as God's word does that let's lean in together and let's be bold enough to be praying through the week that it would do exactly that in our lives that it would cut and heal that as we come together, and we, we come and sit underneath God's word, that, that book that is so stinking convicting, that we might have those indivisible parts of us cut open by his word, and at the very same time, stitched back together, because that's what his word intends to do. In James doesn't really cut any corners or pull any punches. And so I just want to encourage you as, as we get into this text and we consider what James has to say, let, let's lean in. And next week when Pastor Danny walks us through the sin of partiality and, and then when we consider that faith without works is dead and how you doing with your tongue and hey, right on down the line. Because my fear is, is that if you're, if you're afraid of conviction, like we're not going to see you until Christmas. Because you're like, let's sing, I just want to sing Joy to the World and Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And let's get some angels and maybe a tree and let's just kind of feel good about this. But the truth is, is that God isn't necessarily interested in just you walking out of here this morning feeling good. He's interested in you being whole. And wholeness comes from both the cutting and healing of his word. So let's lean in and let's ask him to come and do that. Because we know we're better for it. Although it may not be real fun in the midst of it. So let's pray. We'll hop into James 1. Well God, we... We want to pray and ask that you would come and use your word to penetrate and to divide and to cut and to heal. God, you tell us that your, your word's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we may be competent and equipped. And so God, we know your word heals and it has, it has a very constructive part to it. And we want and we need that as well. And so God, we thank you that you have, you have spoken. And we pray for our, our ears as we listen, our minds as we, we process. 
God, I pray that you would give accuracy to my words, that it may indeed reflect correctly what you have said. God, and I pray that you'd come and meet with us in a special way. And we ask this in the good name of Jesus. Amen. Well, in James 1, verses 19 through 27, here's what we're going to be looking at. Kind of four broad points. For those of you that are note takers, there's kind of the structure of what we're going to break down and look at this morning. James begins in verses 19 and 20, uh, walking us through instructions on how to do the word in real life. And verse 22, as I said, is, is, is the central command to the book of James. It's the central theme to the book of James. But it also functions as the central imperative command to this passage. So everything before and after it kind of all hinges on what happens in the middle. And how James structures this passage is, is a bit like a sandwich. Where if you look at the very first thing, instructions on how to do the word in real life. And you look at the very last thing, they are identical. Those are our slices of bread. Now I don't know if you're a ciabatta roll person or you like it rather to be a panini or maybe a whole wheat version. Just pick whatever favorite type of bread you've got, maybe some pumpernickel in there. And those are the bookends to which James structures this section. What's in the middle is the command to do the word in real life and then an illustration for us to think through on what not doing the word looks like. And so that's where James is going to take us. And so we begin in verses 19 and 20 considering James's instruction on how to do the word in real life. Read with me, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. So James begins giving us instructions on how to do the word in real life. What does that look like in your life and mine is the question And he launches right off and says, well, know this, understand this, my beloved brothers. He speaks to them with affectionate terms. He calls them brothers. There's an indication in the text that those that he is writing to are those that would consider themselves a part of the family of God. They would raise their hands if asked, are you a born again believer? James is writing to these individuals. He's not writing to the, to the person who thinks that they don't know the Lord or who may just fully acknowledge, I don't know the Lord. He's writing to a group of believers and he speaks affectionately to them and he says, I, I love you. You're my brothers and sisters in the Lord and I want you to understand this. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. See, pausing to listen and understand is the exact opposite of speaking your mind and venting your frustration. And so our our board of overseers over this past year, we've been 
thinking through and looking at some different values that we want to characterize us as a board. Um, but not just that. We don't want them to just end there. We, we want those values to then begin characterizing us as a church and how we do business in, in formal ways. And then at some point, we'd love to see these values begin to trickle down into how you interact with everybody else who's here and perhaps even then extend beyond these walls and begin to affect your neighbors and your co-workers. And, and so we recognize that we, we got to got to begin at the top and we got to lead by example and we have this value that says that we will seek first to understand before we seek to be understood. You think that's so critical and James tells us exactly that. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak. Seek first to understand before you seek to be understood. And we struggle with that, don't we? And I think we can, we can admit that. We struggle with that. Oh, let me tell you. And go right on and, and tell them. God's word is telling us, no, you seek first to understand. Before you seek to be understood. And it certainly matters greatly in the midst of heated conversations. It matters greatly in the midst of, of encouraging conversations even. I had the opportunity to uh, just kind of interact with, with a friend of mine over email this past week. And, and, and we were writing back and forth. And, and, and I paused for a considerable amount of time after one of the emails. And just thought, all right, Lord, let, help me understand what this man's saying. Help me figure out how to write a, a response that, that it just continues to be encouraging. There wasn't anything of conflict or negative about the emails at all. It was a desire of my heart to take what I had been studying all of this week and go, all right, well, there's no conflict, but I should still be quick to understand and hear and listen. I should pause and give thought to my answer. James also tells us, be slow to anger. And he gives us a reason why we're to be slow to anger. And he tells us, this in verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now that phrase, the righteousness of God, has a, has a kind of a twofold meaning to it. And what James is intending here is the meaning of righteousness of God that is much more in line and similar to how the Psalms, for example, the Old Testament would use that phrase. And so what that phrase means is, is a righteous living. It means a, a, a lifestyle that honors the Lord. And James is telling you, uh, you're not producing or living a lifestyle that honors the Lord by your anger. And your anger is not capable of producing that. And so be slow to anger. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. James gives us instructions. He launches right off in 19 and 20 with instructions on how to do the word in real life. And now he's going to begin to summarize that. And we're going to get to that central command and kind of then hinge back and consider more of this. But in verses 21 and 22, James then gives us the command to do the word in real life. And he says in 21, therefore, put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, 
which is able to save your souls. James tells us on the backside of having given instructions on how to do the word in real life that, that we're, to, we're to put off of some things. And this word put off, it has the connotation of actually taking off clothing or laying weapons aside. That, that's the idea that James is communicating here, that there's something that you have or perhaps something that you are wearing that you need to take off and no longer wear or a weapon that you're holding that you need to lay down and no longer hold. And he tells us what those things are. He says, put away all filthiness. Some of your translations may actually say moral corruptness. And that, that idea of moral filth is what is intended in what James writes. You and I are to be very active at putting away what is morally filthy. What is morally unclean. We're to put away rampant wickedness. And we're to receive with meekness the implanted word. That word receive, it it literally means to receive and believe. Receive and to act. to, To do something. And it is right in line with what James will tell us in verse 22. So you and I are, are, are to take the word which he has told us in verse 18, that the Lord brought us forth by the word of truth, by the gospel. And the gospel would be the gospel of Jesus Christ, that this word that I am holding, that you have before you in your laps, bears witness to this word of God that is from cover to cover about the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's telling us, look, the Lord brought you forth by his own will, by the gospel, as revealed in his word. And you're to receive that word, and you're you're to begin doing something because of it. And it's able to save your souls. And James here has a picture of eternal salvation in mind. Not that he has any doubts that these people are believers or that somehow their salvation in that moment is incomplete because he's just called them brothers and has so several different times thus far. But he has in mind a eternal salvation that the receiving of the word leads to an eternity with the Lord. He says, therefore, put away, take off the moral filth. Lay aside the rampant wickedness. And receive and believe the word that's been implanted. And in verse 22, there you have the hinge verse where he doesn't make any, any watering down of what he intends to say. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. There is a huge contrast here. And the argument that James is putting forward at this point is that if you are quick to speak, quick to anger, slow to listen, if you are for moral filth and rampant wickedness, 
those are indications that you are deceived. And that word deceived, it means to have made a miscalculation. So the idea that he has in mind, and I think one of the ways that we could illustrate it is that if you believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5, you are deceived. You have made a miscalculation. And so if my daughter would come home from second grade, and and she loves math. She's got a mechanical engineering mind. It's just a lot of fun. And she loves doing her math homework. But if she was convinced, Dad, 2 plus 2 equals 5. She would be deceived. She would have made a miscalculation. Now, what's the most loving thing for her teacher to do if she is fully convinced that 2 plus 2 equals 5? It's to sit her down and, well, no, 2 plus 2 doesn't equal 5. And, you know, let's, here's two goldfish. And there's two goldfish. Let's add those goldfish together. Okay, there's, there's four goldfish. And however she would uh, illustrate that for her. But the most loving thing her teacher could do is to sit down with her and to show her and to prove to her, you're a bit off. You're self-deceived. You've made a miscalculation in your formula. And that's what James is saying. That if you consider yourself a believer and all you are interested in is just coming to church and hearing things and, and maybe doing your personal devotions and having the Christian radio on, but there's no discernible action in your life that demonstrates that you are a believer or you take what you might hear this morning and you completely forget about it by the time you get to the restaurant for lunch... You're deceived. I think James would take it to the extreme to say, if that's you, your time this morning here has been wasted. Because all you're doing in that chair is just sitting there thinking 2 plus 2 equals 5. It has to equal 5. It's always equaled 5. And God would love you enough to speak through James To say, now, it equals four. So James gives us a command to put off, put away, take off moral filth, to lay aside rampant wickedness, to receive and be a doer of this word. Because if we don't, we're just self-deceived. And he's going to give us an illustration of what that looks like and beginning in verse 23 he is going to tell us for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer so if you come this morning and you go that that was that was a good morning it's a good morning i heard the word i sung some songs it's a good morning and you walk out there's no difference in your life there's no action and i'm I'm not talking about like the the try and fail because you and i if we're just honest with each other we try and fail all the time but there's not even a try okay i'm good i i went i had i had my god for an hour and a half and i'm good there's no try you are like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. So this illustration that James gives us, if that is, if that is you, and not to accuse specifically any one of you, but as James is walking them through and having us consider this morning, if that is you, it is the same as you looking in a mirror, walking away and completely forgetting what you look like. Perhaps even forgetting what changes need to be made. You might look at a mirror, and let's, let's just consider what a first century mirror would look like. They're not like our mirrors. They weren't made of glass with metallic backs where you get a very, very clear picture unless your child has been having his grummy fingers all over them. They were pieces of metal that were hammered out and then polished. And so there was a reflective property to them. But here's a Roman mirror from the first or second century. And James is going to say, look, if you, if you look into that mirror and you go, oh, not, got a booger. Hair's not too combed well and, and got to maybe shave. That, that ugly mug's looking extra ugly. And, and you walk away and you never pick up the razor. You never take the comb. You never grab a tissue. There's, there's something pretty wrong there. And the act of looking in the mirror itself has just been a waste of your time. Because what you did didn't lead to anything. And despite the, the changes that may have needed to be taken care of and the bedhead that may have needed to been combed over, it, it didn't affect you one bit. Because you walked away and you forgot. And that's what James is telling us it is like for us if we hear the word, but do not do it. And again, we're not talking about trying and failing, or trying and not doing it perfectly. That will be all of us. And you can just even go to some of those awesome sections in the Bible where you've got it in Hebrews 11, the, the hall of faith, where those people, they, they did some things. They, they built arcs and they, they got after it, and, and yet they were not perfect individuals at all. So James is not putting before us that there has to be a perfect try and accomplishment. He's after those of us that have no desire to even try. And you'd say, you're wasting your time. You're just like the man who looks in a mirror and forgets that he needs to comb his hair, forgets that he needs to shave. And it doesn't matter how intently he looked when the mirror was in front of his face, when he puts it down and walks away, he just completely forgets the changes that need to be made. And that's what he tells us. It's like if all we are content with is coming here and listening Opening our Bibles each morning and reading, putting the Christian radio on the radio station, I mean, whatever it may be for you, but then having no desire or attempts at trying to live out what God's Word says. But there's another contrast James then gives us to what it looks like to actually do make some changes. Look in verse 25, another contrast, another contrasting conjunction, the word but. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, 
and perseveres. So James is contrasting now the one who has looked in a mirror and completely forgotten what he's looked like, completely forgotten what changes need to make. But now he's returned to using the scriptures as his focal point. So where he would have said in verse 18 that the Lord brought us forth by his word, where he would have told us in verse 21 that we're to receive the word, where he told us in verse 22 we're to be doers of the word, where he told us in verse 23 we're not just to be hearers of the word, he's now going to return to this idea and use a different set of words to describe the word, and he's going to call it perfect. And he's going to tell us there's actually liberty found in it. And if you think about it, we, we don't actually think of God's word like that naturally. Some of us, I think, do because we've, we've perhaps grown and matured in the Lord over our years of being believers. And we found ourselves agreeing with the Lord that while we may not always live like it, it, it is actually for our good to follow his word. But often we naturally think of obedience to what God has said. As if God is trying to keep us from something. When in reality, the very thing the Lord is doing is not trying to keep us from anything, but trying to lead us to something greater. The psalmist would write in Psalm 16, 11, that in your presence there's fullness of joy. You make known the paths of of life at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore see when god gives us instructions and and tells us how he wants us to uh to to live and and whether it be you know save sex for marriage or whether it be don't be angry because that doesn't produce the righteousness of god but be quick to listen slow to speak he's not trying to keep us from anything he's trying to lead us to something greater And that's why James and others can say that the scriptures are actually a law of liberty. They're perfect. See, there's there's freedom, true freedom, found in being under the authority of the scriptures. And that's what James is wanting us to consider. He's going to tell us, look, if you're the person who who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres. That that word perseveres means to continue or remain. I think the idea he has there is, is you look into the law of liberty and you continually try and do it. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Let's just consider what that blessing looks like just for a minute i think interpersonally your relationships will take on a different character let's just consider this you might have had an interpersonal trial this past week you may have had an argument with your spouse you may have had an argument with a friend i mean things might have spilled out and gotten ugly over text message i mean whatever it is if you were Applying the quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, would that conversation have looked differently? Would that relationship maybe have looked differently? I think we can conclude just from the fact that 
what we know about God's word, that answer is yes. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. So I mean, there, there's a blessing that comes out in our interpersonal relationships as we, as we interact with one another. That if, if you, you come to me and I'm just a jerk in response to you, that hasn't been any fruitfulness that's come out of that. But at the same time, if Psalm 1611 is correct, and the Lord does make known the paths of life, and at his, or in his presence there's fullness of joy, and at his right hand there's pleasures forevermore, and you and I are, are following the very paths of life he has written for us to follow, are we not then experiencing the fullness of joy? Are we not then walking towards or even fully experiencing the pleasures forevermore? And there is a sense that all of that will be more fully experienced come heaven. But right now, those things are true. And again, it's not as if God is trying to keep you from good things. He's trying to lead you to something greater. And so James tells us, don't be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, and you'll be blessed for your doing. Well, lastly, in verses 26 and 27, he comes back to and gives us further instructions on how to do the word in real life. He began thinking through how we, how we speak, how we process information, how we respond to conflict. He then told us, you know, put away all moral filth, Lay aside all rampant wickedness, and he returns to give us further instructions. If anyone thinks he is religious, now let's just pause there because that word may mean something different for those of us in this room. There's, there perhaps is a bit of a generational divide at the word religion because it was about 20, eh, 20, 30 years ago that the word religion became used in a negative sense to describe Christianity. And so you had a movement that said, well, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And there was, there was good truth to that. And there was a, a movement away from a, a rules-based approach to Christianity where there was an emphasis placed on God loving you because you have done something. And said, no, 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 God loves me because I'm his child. And it's not a religion, but it's a relationship. And, and some of you who are older would, would have no struggles considering Christianity to be a, quote, religion. And this word religion, even as it's used in the first century context that James wrote in, had a positive and negative connotation to it. And so what James is saying when he uses the word religious is, is if anyone thinks he is honoring the Lord with his life. I mean, I think that's probably a, a pretty good paraphrase of what he intends. If you think you are honoring the Lord with your life, but do not bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart. This person's religion is worthless. It doesn't matter what you say, it doesn't matter... What you claim, if your tongue is unbridled, you are deceived. And so he gives us a negative example to consider on how to do the word in real life. 
He says, you've got to control your tongues. And he's going to get after that in chapter 3 with great, great instruction. He's telling us, look, it doesn't matter what you claim. It doesn't matter how many fish stickers you have on your car. It doesn't matter how many grace t-shirts and hoodies you buy. It, it just does not matter how perfect your attendance is. If you're saying one thing and your tongue is an unbridled weapon, you're deceived. Your religion is worthless. And in verse 27, he gives us two positive examples of what doing the word in real life looks like. Religion, or a, a life that honors the Lord, that is pure and undefiled. So, pure and undefiled. I think that is an incredible contrast to moral filth and rampant wickedness. Pure and undefiled. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's just consider the first one briefly. Religion that's undefiled and pure is to care for widows and orphans in their affliction. You want to honor the Lord with your life, there is a great way to begin to put that into practice. And I would submit to you that now is the time. If you find yourself wondering, well, when should I do that? Now. Now's when you should do that. Stop waiting. When you just consider the, the, the rates of, of orphans in America, the number of kids that are in the foster care system. I heard a statistic this past week that there are about 500,000 kids in the foster care system. There's a million churches in America. If one family out of every two churches took a kid in, that problem's gone. And now we, we tried to do the foster thing. It's hard. Paperwork, classes, we never got a kid. And I have no idea why the Lord led us to do that and why we had a foster license for about three years. All we know is that he said, get a foster care license. We did, and he never gave us a child. But we knew we had to obey him walk down that road. So there, there, there's difficulty there. Despite all of the radio ads, and that was probably the most frustrating part about it when we were engaged in that process, because we would drive down the road in Indiana, and there would be a giant billboard that said, become a foster parent today. The kids need you. And we'd go, we're trying. Come on. You know, and it's like... So it, there's difficulty there. It, it's not a... It's not a paved road for everybody and yet at the same time I can tell you about some friends of mine here in the borough that began engaging in that process and almost in a blink of an eye they found themselves with a five-year-old and a three-year-old girls who were sisters who they took in and it happened like that and this couple now has two daughters 
that the Lord has given them. And I can't tell you why one was fast and one was slow, except that both of us tried to follow the Lord and what we were doing. You think about the worldwide crisis of human trafficking. Soon it will be the number one most profitable form of crime in the world. We're just buying and selling people. And we're getting upset about somebody kneeling at the beginning of a football game. There's people being bought and sold. And how about this? When we were in China, we read an article that was, that it was not a Christian article at all. But it was in regards to the crisis of orphans in China. And the article said this, that the People's Republic hates disabled kids so much that they'll let the Christians come take them. Let's just, let's just let that sit in for a minute. The government that two months and a day ago, my child was underneath the authority of, was so hated by his government that they would let me, a Christian, come into their country and take him away. I tell you what, one of the most moving things about that journey was when we were in our final city. And we were in the consulate. So we're essentially, once we enter the building on American soil, I kid you not, I thought about kissing the ground. It just it felt good to be on American soil. Everybody spoke American. It, there was just a comfort level that kind of rushed on you. We get up to this, this room when there's, there's nine or ten other adopted families in that room. And they've got to do some formal things and you raise your hand and immigration's getting processed there and all the final and formal stuff happens in this consulate office. We just began talking to the people that were around us because there's only one reason why we're all there. And so, hey, what, what's your story? Where are you from? You know, what, what, what is your little guy? What is your little girl struggle with? I mean, all of them have disability because that's the only way you're getting kids out. Every single one we talked to was a Christian. Just time and time again, conversation after conversation after conversation. Well, God's grace brought us here. We met a family from Texas who that was their ninth child. But in birth order, the adopted son was number eight. They started the adoption process, and she got pregnant. And so it was mom and dad, nursing infant, and two-year-old adopted Chinese baby. You want to know when the time to start putting some of these things that are pure and undefiled into action? Now. And China's not the only one that there's needs at. It just happens to be the one I'm most familiar with. 
The needs are rampant. Care for orphans. Care for widows. Visit those who are in nursing homes and facilities. You want to know how to be a doer of the word? These are some of the very specific things that James tells us. And he also tells us to keep yourself unstained by the world. I think, I think pastors, by and large, probably get a rap that says they're, they're like as a general group of people. I mean, we can stereotype the group of people just against like movies and music. And, and I know there have been times that I've shared things such as that. And, and, and I, I really kind of felt like my dad was like that as I was growing up. Like, Dad, what's the big idea with that movie? And, you know, and why, why can't I go see that? And all my friends are going. And, 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 and now, as, as I look back, I'm grateful. I wish I would have listened more, but I'm, I'm grateful. Because I don't think James has pulled any punches at this point either. Because he's told us earlier in verse 21, Therefore put away all moral filthiness. And now in verse 27, he's told us, Keep yourself unstained by the world. And I think he, he, he puts before us the reality that it's not a both and. That it is an either or. And what you choose to engage yourself in is either going to bring the world stain upon you or you are going to keep yourself unstained. And media and movies and CDs, that's one of the most common places that we find all of it. And it's one of the most attractive places to get caught up in it. And James says, you want to be a doer of the word? You want to honor the Lord with your life? Keep yourself unstained. Put away all the moral filth. If you imagine moral filth as a t-shirt, take it off. Keep yourself unstained by the world. And so as we, as we wrap up, I, I, let's just ask ourselves some questions. How's your speech? Or perhaps we could probably more accurately in today's day and world, just say, how's your communication? Because it's not, it's not that James is concerned about the, the words that come out of your mouth, but unconcerned about the text that your thumbs are whipping out. How's your communication? How's your Facebook posts? How's your tweets? How's your private messages? How's your whatever it may be? Is it bridled? Is your tongue bridled? Or is it unbridled? Are you quick to speak and not quick to listen? How's your anger? I was just reading Proverbs 18 this morning. That, that chapter's got a lot to say about the tongue and how it's foolish. And the man who utters things in anger is a fool. I was talking with a group of individuals this past week just about some of these very things. And, and one of them said, you know, I think God wants us 
to realize how big of a deal this is because this is kind of everywhere. I think the man was dead on. How's your, how's your anger? How's your speech? How, how's your care for orphans and widows? Religion that is pure and undefiled is to care for orphans and widows in their affliction. How's your putting away of moral filth and rampant wickedness? See, he's, he's not pulling punches here. He, he's telling us, look, there, there is a specific way to live that honors the Lord. And it looks a certain way. And you are either hearing and doing or you are deceived and have made a miscalculation. And so the band's going to lead us in the hymn, I Surrender All. And I want to invite you to sing honestly. So here's, here's what that looks like. Some of you may not be at a point where you're ready to surrender. Don't sing. Be honest with the Lord. Don't, don't come before Him with, a, with, with lips that say one thing and a heart that says the very opposite. And you find yourself in a spot where you're like, I don't, I don't want the Lord to have anything. Be honest enough to just not sing. But at the same time, you might begin doing some business with the Lord and asking Him to do some business with you. But some of you might more appropriately say, I surrender most. Because you just know there's spots in your life you, you've not been willing to give up. You know, Lord, you can have all of this. You don't touch that, but you can have all of this. I surrender most. Be honest. Because James isn't interested in a divided life. He's not interested in a divided soul. He's interested in an undivided soul before the Lord that says with open hands and widespread arms, take it all. I surrender all of it to you. So that's where we're going to end. So I invite you to stand. I'll be in the back if any of you want to talk or pray. You can come find me. I'd be glad to do so. But let's consider these things and ask the Lord to do a work in us that we wouldn't be these deceived people. We'd be the hearers and the doers that He wants us to be.